good morning. I hope that y'all are doing well this morning. So for a moment, for a moment, before we begin in John chapter 13 together, for a moment, I want you to take sort of a trip, a time travel back in your childhood. So I want you to go back. I know this is tough for you. This is not a mass therapy session, okay? So just hang on. That's not, the, not the, But maybe go back to when you're maybe 8 to 10 years old. And, and so someone asks you this question. And here's the question. When I grow up, I want to become a... Now, I don't know if you ever had that question asked to you when you were maybe younger, but when I grow up, I want to become a... And, and so if you have your notes or whatever, write that in there for a moment. Now, for some of you, for some of you, this is comedical, it's kind of comical. You know, for some of you, it's really painful, right? Because you think, well, that's what I wanted to be, but I'm not that now. And, and, and so you, you kind of deal with that of maybe a little regret that you've had to settle for something in life. Can I tell you something about that of thinking about what you wanted to become what you are today and growing up, it's never too late to grow up. I don't know if you know that or not, right? It's never too late to grow up. You say, well, I said that to my husband this morning, right? Yes. And, and, and so it's never too late for us to grow up in life. So what, what did you want to be? Well, uh, Nathan, our children's pastor, asked some of your children in Hope Kids this morning that very same question. And so he just texted me some of their answers. And uh, I have maybe a couple of names here, and some of the others, I think they're anonymous. But here is some of the things that your children want to be when they grow up. One is an NFL football player. That's wonderful. That's your retirement plan, correct? Yes. One wants to be an inventor, an astronaut, and go to Mars. That's wonderful. We now have a space force, so maybe that's possible. I don't know, right? Uh, one wants to be, and this is an interesting one, one wants to be on a train making science stuff and other stuff and giving it away for money and buy science spin boxes. I have no idea what that means. Um, that's Rhett. Okay, that's, that's Rhett, and that's interesting because, well, his dad is an engineer, so I guess he kind of thinks like that. Another one wants to be an engineer. One wants to be a cop. One wants to help uh, special needs kids. That's a, wow, that's wonderful, you know. Whoever the parent is of that one, good job, great job. Wants to, one wants to be a veterinarian. One wants to be a babysitter. That's good, isn't it? Yes, when I grow up, I want to be a babysitter. The other one wants to be a teacher or a cop. That's, I think that's an interesting kind of spectrum there, don't you? Yes. Or maybe not. If you're a teacher, you are a cop, right? That's exactly right. Um, one wants to be, oh, I have to say, this is wonderful. One wants to be a Clemson cheerleader. Isn't that, that's great, right? Yes, her name is Ada. Um, then <laughs> one wants to be a scientist. Another one wants to be a soccer coach. Another veterinarian. And then the last young, young man, I know him. His name is Jackson. And he wants to grow up to be a ninja. Isn't that great? Yes, absolutely. That is, that is just wonderful. And, and I thought, well, you know, what do you want to become? It's a huge question. You said, but Mark, you're talking to a room of adults this morning, and, and we're kind of there already. And, and so what do you mean when we grow up? Well, um, I think that, you know, we think, well, I'm grown, but I have to ask you a question, though, another one, and it's this, you know, when is the last time you acted like a child? 
Really? When is the last time you acted like a child? And some of you are saying, well, it was probably this morning or this week or whatever. Well, you didn't get your way. You you felt left out. Someone said something about you and you retaliated, right? Um, Adults have those feelings too. Yes, uh, I think that's the point, that we all still have some growing to do. We all still have to grow up in life. And that's a very spiritual journey for all of us in this room, that we have the same feelings as children do, yet they're different players in the drama of our lives. So I think the question is, are we growing up? Are we growing up? You know. And so if we were to take this question and we were to ask Jesus the very same thing and we were to say, hey, Jesus, and I guess you can kind of address him that way, right? Hey, Jesus, what kind of person do you want me to become? Yes. What kind of person do you want me to become? That's a huge question. It really is. And as we have worked our way through the book of John, now to chapter 13, that's exactly what he's been talking about to you and I through this entire journey, is that's what he's saying. And we find ourselves in chapter 13, after three years having the disciples with him day and night, he's been modeling this through conversations and examples of life about what he wants them to become. Yes, and so what we find in chapter 13 is this moment. It comes to this powerful moment in their lives and the life of Jesus when, oh, things are about to get really serious. They're about to get serious because they've been hearing about Jesus talking about his death from probably about the first moment that they met him. But what we realize in chapter 13, it's what we might consider the beginning of the end, is what it, what it is. And at this moment, Jesus talks to them about, well, he talks to them about really grown-up things. Starting in verse 20, we come back to the rest of the chapter in a moment. But starting in verse 20 of chapter 13, here's what Jesus says to them. And I think it sets the tone for us this morning. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, I put beside that in my Bible, that's me. I receive the one I send, that's us in this room, receives me, that's Jesus. So he says simply this, that truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, that's me, receives me, Jesus. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me, and that's the Father. It's God's economy. It's a powerful thing that he says to you and I. That here's exactly what Jesus wants me to become. He wants me to become the one that is sent so that I will make him known to others. And in making him known to others, then I reveal the heart of Jesus in making Christ known. Oh, that's easy, right? That's that's easy. I got that. It's simple as willing myself to become the image of Christ to others. But maybe not quite as easy as we think. And so you say, well, I'm exempt from that. He's not really talking to me. But when I go back and I look at this, this text that we just read in verse 20, he uses the word whoever. And so I, I went back and I said, okay, I want to make sure who, who, whoever is. And, and so I, well, what is the Greek word there? You know, I got to go back and research this to find all of this. And what I realize is the word whoever means whoever. It does. It means you and I. It means all of us. That none of us are excluded from what Christ is saying to us. Yes. And he said, but well, I'm not just sure that I want to be the one sent. Or I can be the one sent because there's this person in my life. And I'm not absolutely positive that I can be the image of Christ to that individual in my life. Well, welcome to your humanity. Right? Welcome to your humanity. That's the beauty of the Passover meal with Jesus and his disciples in chapter 13. It is. And so in reading this, can I tell you, get ready to wash some feet. 
Yeah, get ready to wash them feet. You say, Mark, you don't literally mean that, do you? That's not what we're going to do. No, don't get nervous because you didn't change your socks or you are those kinds of things. But so, so Mark, you know, in, in looking at this, hey, I want to grow up. So where do I start in this process of growing up? Where do I begin? That's the right question. So Jesus gives us some guidance in this John chapter 13. He gives us some very positive and powerful guidance on how you and I are to grow up. And so we go back to John chapter 13. This time we start at verse 1, where we should start, I guess. And it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, he said, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I underline that last part it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So where do you start? Oh, you start with love. That's it. You start with love because that's exactly where Jesus starts. Those, these five chapters, 13 through 17, they're all themed by this thought, thought of love. And here at this Passover meal, well, before we get into this, I have to warn you that this is not surface conversation. That this is conversation that can make us feel very uncomfortable. They're not sitting around the table talking about the weather in Jerusalem. They're not doing that, right? And, and, and we do that at times and have very surface conversations. Those, those one-inch conversations at this table, that, that day, they're pushed to the side. No, they're very much because love is exhibited by Christ, not just in word, but also in action. That Jesus makes his heart completely known to his disciples. He's transparent. He says, hey, fellas, I loved you through the journey. I loved you all the way, every step through the journey. And I'm going to continue to love you. And I think we struggle with that thought about Christ continuing to love us. Yes, that, that this, I love you to the end because what Jesus does, he looks around the table. He knows their hearts. He knows their intent of their minds. He knows everything about them. And yet he says this, that I love you to the very end. That they're open books to him. That he knows everything about him. That Jesus establishes, or John establishes the heart of Christ at this very moment toward his disciples through his words and his actions. Even when Jesus knows who's sitting there. Well, who's sitting there? Well, all the disciples are sitting there, right? Well, who, who does that include? Well, John is there. We know that because he's sitting very close to Christ. We, we realize that. We, and you can read that later on in chapter 13. But, but we also know that there's Judas that is there. Oh, and you know, you feel the tension when you say his name, right? That Judas is there. And then also Peter is there, the one that tries to always take control of everything. So he has all of this group of people there and he makes this statement to them. I've loved you throughout the journey and I'll love you to the end no matter what you do. Here's what I thought about this. That the love of God has no shelf life. Uh, and, and I want you to understand that completely and fully in light of what Jesus is about to do, that the love of God has no shelf life. There's no expiration date to the love of God. It's important before we go any further that we establish that fact that there is no shelf life to the love of God in, in our lives. No, it has always been and always will be unconditional, even for those Unconditional, even for those that sell him for silver, even con- unconditional for those that will deny that they ever even have known him. Yes, it's the, it's the real of our lives. It's the real of our lives and the ideal of the love of Christ. And I think that not only do we struggle 
with God loving us in that way that no matter what we do, no matter what, we'll never change his mind about how much he loves and how much he cares for you and I. But I think we struggle with loving at that level with one another, that we really do. Yes. And I think that what we try to do sometimes is I make this conscientious state, you know, decision. Hey, I'm going to love you no matter what you do to me. I'm going to love you no matter what you say, no matter how hard, how much you harm me, that I'm going to love you that way. And what I realize is I cannot will myself to do that. I can't. Because here is the thought. Some of you are difficult to love, right? Yes. And I'm difficult to love at times. Just ask Reba and she will tell you the truth about me. That I am difficult to love at times. So I can't just will myself to do this. So Jesus gives us some direction throughout the rest of this text about how that you and I not only receive that love and live in that unconditional love of Christ with our life with no shelf life or expiration date, but how that we love each other in that manner at that level or at the very best that you and I can as a human. So we go back to John 13, this time verse 2. Here's what he says. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet um, and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Here is the thought. And I, and I want to I point out, I want to make the obvious obvious. There's always opposition to becoming the person that God wants us to become. And it starts in a moment just like this. It starts in a moment just like this. Um, that that Judas, Judas is sitting at the table. Jesus knows his heart. He knows his mind. He knows what he is contemplating at that very moment. It, and it becomes so clear to me. Because I begin to wonder, well, why is Judas there to begin with? You know, why is he not there? Why isn't he out doing his dirty deed or his dastardly deed? Why is he sitting here with Jesus at this table during this time? And I begin to think through that this week. And what I realize, it's for two reasons. One, it's a grace opportunity for me. It's a grace opportunity for you and I. And it's also a grace opportunity for him. Because at this moment, at this moment, this is provocation. It's what this is. It's, it is a provocation is a, it's a, a theological word. And what this means is this. It's that moment where temptation is the weakest in our lives. Provocation is. Judas, Judas has this idea. He has this idea in his mind, but he's yet to act on that idea. No. And, and, and when I begin to think about this, oh, it is truly the moment where temptation is the weakest in all of our lives. And I thought, well, why, you know, why does Judas do this? I, I, well, maybe I can come up with an explanation. And I, I thought, well, maybe Judas thinks that if I do this, then I'm going to force Christ to become the king that we all want him to be. He's going to save himself, and, and then he's going to set up this kingdom, and I'm going to have this real sweet position in the kingdom of God. And I, I thought, well, maybe that's the way that Judas is thinking. But the point is, Judas has the thought before he acts on the sin. And the grace that Jesus shows him is Jesus washes his feet even while he's having this thought of betraying Christ. That's grace. Yes, that this is this moment of provocation to where that we have that moment to reject the idea. It's when the idea comes in our heart and our mind 
for those kinds of things. And we have that moment of grace that God has afforded to all of us where we can reject that and not act on that. And so what Jesus does, he provides Judas a moment of grace when he kneels in front of him and he washes his feet. It's a powerful thought. How many times do we not take up God on those moments of our lives? Right? Yes. It's like someone knocking at the door, you know, someone knocking at the door and, 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 and do I answer the door? Well, I don't know. What are you doing? You're peeking out around a window somewhere to what? Well, you know, you're making sure it's not the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Because you're hiding. Yes. And, and if you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're here, we love you this morning, okay? And we're glad you're here, but, you know, I'm just being real. And, and so most of us have probably hid at some point to someone, or, or somebody always knocks at the door at the most inopportune time. You're getting out of the shower, you're not dressed or whatever, you know, kind of thing. So do I go to the door? Well, this is exactly what this is going happening with Judas. He has the thought, he has the intent, but does he open the door? And what God does through Jesus washing the disciples' feet is he gives Judas this opportunity for grace within his life. So who's knocking at your door? Yeah. Well, I made a list. Don't you love that? Here's the list. Self-centeredness? Well, yes, knocks at our door. Unkindness? Ah, sometimes it's in our words, right? The unkindness of our speech. And so you say, well, I just say what I think. That's the problem. You need to stop doing that, right? Yes, we say that as if that's some kind of positive attribute in our life. Well, I just go around saying what I think. Well, what if people said what they think about you? Then it wouldn't be so nice, would it? Yes, who's knocking at your door? Pride, unforgiveness, anger that eventually will transition into bitterness within your life. Judgmentalism, you're aloof, you're indifferent. Oh, that moment where the temptation in your life is the weakest, Christ through love and grace provides a way out. So Jesus kneels in front of Judas and he washes his feet. I'm just saying to you this morning that we need to take those moments of grace in our life when it's provocation within our lives, we need to take those moments and we need to say, oh, this is grace. I understand, you know, God gives us those moments to think through those things, I think, at times. And we say, no, I reject that. And God covers us with the grace that, that he is showing absolutely to Judas in, in this very story this morning. And so what Jesus does, he stands from the table He takes off his outer garment. Yes. Don't get crazy. We're not going any further than the coat. Okay. So he he takes off his outer garment. Yes. The scripture says that he takes this towel and and he he girds himself with the towel around himself. And and I thought, well, I'm not sure how to do that. Right. Yes. So that's the way I do it. And it's not going to stay on most likely. He girds himself with a towel. He takes the basin and he begins to say, I told you, good thing I left my pants on, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I heard an amen. And then, well, anyway, I won't go there. I had some other thoughts. Okay. All right. Better. And he girds himself and he begins to kneel starting, you know, I don't know, maybe at the end of the table. And, and, and what we realize is that in that culture, 
that they would not sit in chairs, but they would lie or recline at a table. So, you know, their feet were pretty easy to get to. We know that they washed feet in these settings because when they reclined at the table, that you could have someone else's feet in your face. And that's never a good thing, right? Especially the realization that they walk with sandals. Nobody had Nikes back then. And so they walk with sandals. And when you walk with sandals, you walk on the same roads where there is that of donkey exhaust everywhere, you know? And you may step in a little bit of that and you bring that in between your toes. And, and, and so they begin, he, Jesus begins to wash their feet. It was, it was that of a, a normal event. What made this absolutely abnormal was that Jesus does this and not a servant in the room. Not some, they, would hire, they would hire foot washers is what they would do. And so it was a lowly job to wash everybody's nasty feet. And so they, they, there was no foot washer in the room. No one has been hired. So Jesus becomes the servant, even in the face of betrayal and rejection and denial. If I'm to become the person that God wants me to become, then I have to lean into him to truly love like he loves because that's a tall order, isn't it? That's a huge order. Because we struggle to love someone when they speak a word against us or they they hurt our feelings in some way. Yet here's Christ who kneels before them knowing that they will One will betray him, one will deny him, and the others will hide from the public at some point. Wow. What I realize when I begin to read this text is that love for Christ and love for another always involves the Well, the stripping away of something, the laying aside of self. To love as Christ loves means I'm laying aside myself, oneself, for the greater of another, is what it actually means. If if I want to really know what it's like to become the person that Christ wants me to become, then I have to deal with this picture of the Savior of all humankind, the creator and sustainer of all of the creative order, standing before those that get it and those that don't get it, but and those that love him and those that only love him, what he is going to provide for, he will provide for them, and he simply lays himself aside by taking off his garment for their benefit. Because Jesus does not just love the ones that love him back. Jesus does not just love in word. Because it's really easy for me to say, hey man, I love you, right? It's it's so easy. But Jesus loves them indeed. He becomes a servant. He washes their feet. And when I begin to think about he washes all their feet, what I realize is that I'm not afforded the right to say I love you. And I'm not afforded the right to say to someone else that I really don't love you. I'm not afforded that right. God didn't give me that out in this life. And what what I understand, this is raw and revealing love of Christ. That God the Father chooses to reveal his glory through Jesus the Son washing the dirty feet of the disciples. And that included Judas and Peter. 
And what Jesus, what Jesus does, he reverses the role of the servant. He, he, he actually, he, he raises the role of the servant is what he does. He redeems that position. He makes that position not the lowliest in the kingdom, but he makes that position in the kingdom the highest in the position to serve others is exactly what he does. And when I, when I begin to research this, that even Jewish servants wouldn't wash feet. Those were for Gentile servants to do that. And in this culture, what I, I discovered is this, is in this culture that wives wash their husbands' feet. Oh, could we preach there for a moment, right? Yes. You say, Mark, stay away from that. I will. Trust me, okay? Absolutely. And children wash parents' feet, and disciples would wash their teachers' feet. Jesus in love redeems the role of what it means to be a servant. So when you grow up, you grow up to serve God and to serve others in love. That's what it means to grow up. If you're aspiring to be what God wants you to be, then God just called you to be a servant of all. You know, growing up, when there's someone in your life that you did you have great respect for, then then you want to say, you know, you want to maybe do something that would impress them and 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 make them proud of you. And and I thought in in my humanity, what could I do to impress Jesus? And I and I realized that's not what our call is, and so I understand that. But in my humanity, I thought, what would I do to impress him? And what I realized is is what verse thirty five says to us. It says it's by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love. And then he describes what that love looks like. It's laying aside yourself for someone else in life that you have love for one another. That's truly how people will know that we are disciples of God. Not just by what we've memorized or the size of Bible that we carry or how many times you come here You know, in a month. It's not that. But people know that you are the disciples of Christ if you have love one for another. And what does that love look like? Laying aside yourself for the benefit of another. Wow. Wow. So I can't just will myself to this. Look at verse 6. And here's what he said. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Jesus knows Peter. Peter, he just never gets it, does it? And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, uh, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. It reveals the heart of Peter. And that's what true Deep love and the love of Christ does in our life. And how are we when we love one another? It reveals our hearts to one another. Because here's what Peter is saying. This, you know, Jesus is laying aside himself for Peter. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't care what anybody else thinks about what he's doing or even what it does to Peter because true love is penetrating the heart of Peter. And Peter's afraid he's going to lose his inheritance. So Peter says to him in verse nine, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And you thought, oh, that would, that's a great answer. That's the answer I would have come up with. You think Jesus would have given him a high five and then begin to wash him. But that's not, that's not what happens at all because Peter is very well focused on what he might lose here and not what he's going to gain in that of being the image of Christ. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And then I underline these four words that he says to Peter. After Peter does this, after Peter misses it, after Peter bombs this conversation, Jesus says to him, and you are clean. Wow. I may not have said that to Peter. 
I might have reached up to Peter and like thumped him on the head really hard and said, dude, can't you get that into your hard head? What is going on here? No. He was said, you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And so here is the thought. If we start with love, then we end with love because that's what Jesus does. It's such a beautiful setting, isn't it? It's such an absolutely beautiful setting that of Christ watching disciples feet, and all of a sudden enters humanity. Boom, there's humanity right in the middle of all of this. Yes, that, that this event is intolerable to Peter. He cannot take it. He can't deal with it. It's appalling to him. Yeah, it's the gracious and merciful love of God that reveals the brokenness of his own heart because he can't see the brokenness of his own life. Yeah. How would you feel? How would you feel if the savior of the humankind, the creator of all of the universe, kneels before you? What would be your first thought if he says to you that he is going to wash your feet? What would be your first thought? My first thought would be, I hope I didn't wear that pair of socks that has a hole in it. That would be my first thought. Yes, yes. Or your first thought was, you know, when is the last time I, I had a petty, you know, kind of deal, right? Yes, because right now, the way my feet look, I could climb a tree with those things. So, so you know, uh, we have those thoughts, right? Yes. But what I realized is the love of Christ does two things in our lives. One, it secures us. It brings great security within our lives and second thing it does that it, it, ex, it exposes us and it does those things simultaneously. Yes, why? Because a perfect father, a perfect father wants his children to grow and mature. That's it. And Jesus' love sets us free to grow by challenging the reality of where we are. The love of Christ simply frees us to grow by challenging the reality of where we are. This is not some squishy, fuzzy fluffy kind of love. No, this is a love, a kindness that exposes and covers the very dysfunctions of our lives through grace and mercy. And I thought, but Christ doesn't wait until they get it right to serve them and to love them. But he loves them exactly where they are. Peter asked Jesus in that moment of his brokenness to bathe him completely. He's blind of all that. He's afraid of losing his inheritance. You know, his position in, in the kingdom when Jesus becomes the king is kind of what he's probably thinking. And Jesus says, in light of all of that dysfunction in Peter's life, Jesus says, Peter, you're clean. That kind of grace astounds me. It leaves me speechless. That he says that to Peter, that Peter, you're clean. Yes. Because Christ doesn't wait to love us in some perfect future form of who we are. But he loves us where we are. And if I take that and lay that over all of us in this room, then I have to ask you a question. Are you waiting for me to get it like Peter never did? Are you waiting for me to get it before you love me? What about the person next to you? What about the person that you work near on your job or, or you're in class with? Are you waiting till they get everything right before you love them? Or are you willing to simply take off the outer garment, put the towel around your waist, take the, take the basin and kneel before them and simply serve them even though you know that they don't get it? 
Because that's the love of Christ. That's what Christ wants us to grow up into. It's easy for me to run a, simply to go around all day long and say how much I love you and how much I care for you. But what about those moments in your life when you don't get it? What about those moments in your life when you are messed up, that you're in sin? What about those moments when you sinned against me? Am I willing to, at those moments in my life to take off my outer garment, to put the towel around my waist and take the basin, kneel before you and serve you? Because that's the love of Christ. If we were to love each other at that level, even when we are unlovable, that's growing up. That's what it means to grow up and become the person that Christ is designed for me to be. Even when we don't get it, that's what real grown-up in Christ's love is. That I believe, I wrote this in my, my journal this week, that I believe that me loving you exactly where you are is part of the process to get you to where Christ wants you to be. And if I don't love you exactly where you are in your life, then I'm not being a part of getting you to where God wants you to be in life. That I have to love you exactly where you are, when you get it and when you don't. And man, I need that kind of love in my life too. Look at verse 12. And when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Do do you understand? before we move on, don't get so caught up on the feet thing, right? That you missed the whole point here. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And when I looked back to this text, and I I went begin to say, okay, what's the Greek meaning of all these words and what does it say? And exegetically, I want to be, to be this in context. I still come to this point of this, that blessed are you if you grow up in love like this, is what Jesus is saying. So let me give you three practical things before we pray. Three practical things for our lives this morning before we pray. Here's what God wants you to do. Here's the first is this, practice kindness. Practice kindness. Is it? Yeah. Galatians 5 and 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Okay. Well, I'm just going to be a nicer person to everybody around me. Can I tell you, this is a kindness that transcends that. Yes. The fruit of the Spirit are a work of the Spirit within our lives. It's not something that you and I just simply will to do one day. We wake up in the morning, have a great devotion, and we decide this is the way I'm going to be in life. It's a work of the Spirit of God within our lives, not by our will. And so when I realize that, I understand that kindness is a work of the Spirit in my life. Because as a human being, I'm not wired to be kind. And I said that unkindly. I'm not, really. (laughs) That I'm not wired to be kind. No. And the kindest thing that Jesus can do in Peter's life, because he places the welfare of Peter... He places the, 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 you know, what people might think of him or what Peter might even think of him. He places his love for Peter above all of those things. So, so simply what this says is this, is that Jesus loves Peter far too much to leave him unchanged. He loves him far too much to leave him unchanged in his life. 
It's the model that Jesus lives out for you and I about kindness. But how would I have reacted to Judas? <laughs> if I'd have known what Judas was going to do, how I, I thought about this. This is what I probably would have done. And, and I'm just being honest, you know, I'd have had the towel around me, of course. And, and I'd have walked up to Judas, and he's sitting there. I'd have known what he was thinking. I would have knelt down like this and went, psych, and I'd have moved on. Yeah, right? Yes. <laughs> not washing those feet. Absolutely not. But that's not what Christ does. Because it's an opportunity for grace and in Judas's life. But God also knows there's a great opportunity for grace in my life and your life and the way you and I react to one another. But what I understand about kindness is this, that there's two sides of kindness. There's that pleasant side of kindness, you know, where I do great things and it make me feel, makes me feel really well. But then there's also that unpleasant side of kindness. And so I came across this text. I have to read it to you. Psalm 141 in verse 5. And it, and it talks about kindness. And it says this, let a righteous man strike me it is a kindness. Isn't that great? Haven't you been looking for that text for a long time? It just wants to make you turn around and hit somebody and say, that was kindness, right? Yes, enjoy. That's it, yes. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it, yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. That Jesus exposes Peter's heart and that's the kindest thing that Jesus could ever do to him that day with Peter is to expose his heart. Sometimes kindness toward others in our life is that you do the hard thing, right? You say the hard thing. You have the tough conversation with them because if you really love someone, you will never stand back and watch them self-destruct before your very eyes. Because if you say that you love them and you watch them do that without trying to intervene in their life and love them and show them grace, then what I say to you is that you're a hypocrite. You say you love, but you really don't understand what the love of Christ is. I think the second thing is this, that, that we live lowly, that to love is to serve and to serve is to love. And when you serve, what we say to the world is this is what God is like. When we serve others, we say to the world, this is what God is like. That the role of the servant has been redeemed by Christ at this table that day. Yes. And if Jesus takes the role of the servant and he is the master, then you and I follow the footsteps of the master. That Jesus is submissive to the Father by serving the disciples by washing their feet. So we do that also. And so what we realize, verse 17 says, that's the path to a blessed life. And the third thing is that we grow in grace. That we grow in grace for ourselves and we grow in grace for others because grace is a two-way street. It's about receiving for ourselves when, when we don't get it that we realize that God covers us in grace and also giving to others that those that don't deserve it yet we show them grace within lives even when they, in life even when they harm us because when I read this text the thing that stuck out to me I think the most powerful of all this is this that Jesus washes all of the disciples feet. He doesn't exclude any of them no matter where they are in life including Judas and Peter. He's revealing the heart of the Father by washing their feet. So the disciples must be revealing you and I in our hearts. 
our brokenness, our moments when we don't get it, our moments when we get it wrong, when we lack kindness, when our pride is glaring, when we hatch our own plan as Peter was notorious for. That he loves us when we're in the world and he loves us to the end. So what do I want to be when I grow up? I want to love as Christ loves. And I can't will myself to do that. I realize that's a work of the Spirit within my life. I can make a conscientious decision to love my brother as myself. But when it comes to this, Paul, I realize that I need grace and I need mercy and I need God in my life. That I don't want to say to you that I just love you, but yet I want to love you indeed. That I don't want the world to look at me and say that, well, those are just words in Mark's life because he only loves me when I'm lovable. But yet I want to love as Christ loved. Even when we don't, even when we disagree, even when we say things that harm one another, when we don't get it, that doesn't release me from loving you and it doesn't release you from loving me. That's what it means to grow up. So would you bow your heads for a moment for reflection this morning? Father, speak to our hearts and our lives. God, that we, we give this moment of reflection to you that our hearts are raw, our, our hearts are open, that you, would, that you would speak to us in these moments. That God, we, we, under, we, we confess to you and you understand us that we're human. And so God, you know there are times when we don't get it. Yet you still wash our feet. So, Father, we lay aside ourselves. We lay, lay aside our self-centeredness this morning. We lay aside our pride. We repent for those things in our lives. And we say, Lord, as you have loved, we want to love others also. Because that's, that's how they will know in this world that we are your disciples. Father, let this be a moment of repentance in our lives. A moment of taking inventory within us. A moment to maybe get a glimpse in our mind of, of the person that we've avoided or the, the individual that we've steered clear of in our lives because we don't want to get involved in their life. And today, let it be a turning point that we involve ourselves that we remove the outer garment and we put the towel around us as you did father we take the basin and we wash their feet even in their brokenness because father we will need someone to wash our feet in the middle of our brokenness 
Father, challenge us by the Spirit this morning to love the world where they are now and to love them to the end and make you known, Father. Lastly, Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace in our lives that when we don't get this right, you still wash our feet. For Father, when we have our own agendas, you still you still kneel before us in your love and your mercy and your grace. So Father, we know that all of this is blanketed in love and grace and mercy. And we grow in the middle of that. So we give you thanks.